Before we begin, will you pray with me? And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. For the past several weeks, our church has been walking through the book of Ephesians. It's this fascinating letter in which the Apostle Paul spells out for us how the Creator God has overcome the powers of evil that have held this world captive. (laughs) Now, right out of the gate, that statement can send shivers down our modern spines. We live in a culture that has accepted John Lennon's invitation to imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. It's an interesting thought. But of course, this kind of world can only exist in our imaginations. Deep down... We're all asking the questions that pertain to ultimate reality, right? Who am I? Who is God? Why am I here? Why is there suffering? What happens when I die? These questions are normal. And they demand the existence of a reality that goes far beyond what we can see and hear and touch, far beyond the natural world. Paul introduces us, initiates us into a much richer, multi-layered reality. We're not alone in this world. Creation is haunted both by the loving God who made it and loves it, and by the evil and rebellious powers that want to destroy it. But the gospel is the announcement that the battle is won. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, if you'll turn there with me, please. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, near the end of this chapter starting at verse 20, that the Creator God has won this decisive victory in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Victory. But it gets better. Let me just read two more verses to you. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, this is very good news for us. 
it means that you and I are on the winning team. That's a good feeling. It means that our king is the real and true king. He has all the power. But we have to ask that if that's the case, then why do we so often feel utterly powerless? Why do we feel like evil constantly has the upper hand in our lives? Some of you know what it feels like to be gripped by a real darkness. You're still in the throes of it this morning. Maybe you're dealing with an addiction to alcohol or to pornography. Maybe you're spiraling, reeling from the loss of a loved one or a friend. And the loneliness that you feel deep down is totally unbearable. Maybe you're overwhelmed by the pressures of your vocation that you face week in and week out and you feel inadequate for it. You're exhausted and you don't see how you can possibly go on. Whatever it is, we know what it feels like to feel powerless. We know what it's like for our lives to seem out of sync with this victorious message of the gospel. So what can we do with this tension in these moments when we're tempted to just throw in the towel and quit? How can we go on? How can we live again as followers of the risen and powerful Christ? To put it simply... We must pray. We must pray. It's imperative. In our passage, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, Sophia read it for us. Paul shows us that prayer is the ultimate way that you and I can draw down, can tap into God's unlimited resources for us. It's through prayer. Now, it's one thing for me to say that. But it's another thing entirely for Paul to say it. He's writing this letter from prison. He's sitting in shackles. He knows what it feels like to be powerless. And yet he pauses in this letter, to pray for us. He knows he's writing Scripture. He knows he's living in this special, intense moment in the history of God's plan. He anticipates that people centuries from this moment will be reading this and drawing encouragement from us. And so he not only prays for us, but he teaches us how to pray for ourselves and for others. And so I'd like for us to look at Paul's prayer this morning. I'd like for us to see three things that Paul models for us. Three things that Paul wants us to imitate in our own prayers. 
First, we're going to look at how to approach God in prayer. Second, we'll look at what to pray. Sometimes that can be confusing. And third, why we can be confident in prayer. So first, how to approach God. Second, what to pray. And third, why we can be confident. First, how to approach God in prayer. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 14, that he bows his knees before the Father. This was an unusual posture for prayer. Believe it or not, the Jews of Paul's day, their normal posture was standing. So, One time, Jesus told a story about a Pharisee and a publican who go to the temple to pray, and they both stand. And like that's not the moral of the story, like how dare they stand. This was seen as totally appropriate. But still, there are times in the Bible when people get down on their knees to pray. Daniel in the Old Testament, in defiance of the king's command. Jesus in the garden. Stephen in the book of Acts, right before he was martyred. What's the common denominator? It's intense desperation. Intense desperation. To kneel in prayer is to symbolize with our bodies that we are totally dependent on God's grace in our lives. And by the way, isn't that why we kneel for confession like we did just a few moments ago? It's not to humiliate ourselves. It's to cultivate in our own hearts this sense of desperation for God's intervention. It's appropriate. Now, this isn't to say that we can only pray while kneeling. Uh, We can pray sitting, standing, walking, lying down. It's much more comfortable that way. But you know, sometimes our posture can affect our encounter with God. I have a friend. Yes, I have friends. Um, I have a friend who is a teacher at a high school. And he regularly has to ask his slouching students... What's your learning posture right now? And they really appreciate and enjoy that, of course. (laughs) Thanks for all those people in the back who just now started straightening up. But it's a good question. It's a good reminder. And it applies just as cleanly to prayer as it does to anything else. Someone says, let's pray. And we instinctively bury our you know, our eyes and our hands and start rubbing our eyes, right? I know I do that. Come on. What's that communicating about our view of prayer? It's like a, you say, let's pray, and there's a big tidal wave of people going, oh. That it's not important? That it's a formality? That it's an opportunity for each one of us to check out and think about what we want to think about? 
A pleasant way to transition from one event to another? I think it's difficult for Americans to take seriously prayer. We like to think of ourselves as self-sufficient. You know, it feels odd for us to ask God for our daily bread when we know exactly where our meal's coming from the next time. But that's not the experience of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Haiti or in Kenya. No, they are totally dependent on God for rain and the survival of their crops, aren't they? They know desperation. And so they know prayer. We need to realize what Paul's saying here. All prayer is an act of desperation. It's a reminder that God is God and we are not. So think for a moment about your own prayers. Are you desperate? Do you really pray with the belief, with the confidence that if God doesn't act, nothing's going to change? Do you take God's promises in this book and with all due respect, ask him to live up to them, to risk for them and say, if you don't catch me on this, I'm toast. God wants us to approach him in desperation. He doesn't want for us to wait until we're desperate to pray. He just wants us to own up to our desperation every time we pray. He answers desperate prayers. And the more we realize our dependence on God, that every meal comes from Him, that every breath we take is a yes or no question to Him, that our greatest needs can be met instantaneously by a single syllable from His mouth, the more we will bow the knees of our hearts to Him in prayer. So that's the first thing that Paul teaches us. It's a challenge, isn't it? He's teaching us how to approach God in prayer. And this is very important for both newer Christians and older Christians to be taught how to approach our Creator in prayer. But then starting in verse 16, Paul shifts gears. He's not showing us how to pray anymore. He shows us what to pray for. All the English majors in the room just shrieked that I ended something with an unnecessary preposition. It's easy to get lost here in this portion of the prayer. There are lots of words. Uh, Paul packs his sentences like my wife packs her suitcases. I mean, like the whole house is going with us. And it's hard to make sense of it all. But it's a lot easier when we group Paul's requests around the two occurrences of the word that. So the first is at the beginning of verse 16. Paul prays that According to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened 
with power. That's the first. And the second is in the middle of verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength. Both prayers, you may have noticed, are requests for power. What kind of power is Paul asking for? Uh, He's using the Greek word dunamis, which you may have guessed is from where we get our English word dynamite. But Paul's not talking about an explosive power. He's talking about an enabling power. The ability to accomplish a difficult task. Paul wants us to be equipped to do what God wants us to do. And how do we get there? Only by God's power. Only by God's power. He alone can supply what you need. So in verse 16, Paul prays, just to sum up, for our inner strength. Our inner strength. Look with me. Um, He writes, he prays, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This strength, this inner strength, is real strength. It's a deeper and more resilient strength than something we can put on at the gym. The reality is that the Christian life is very difficult. Um, It feels like a swim upstream. God asks us to do things that go against our natural desires. And forgiveness is one of them. We've all been sinned against, but some of us have been deeply wounded by those who are very close to us. A loved one, a spouse, a friend, a father. And it's so hard to forgive them. You even practice saying it out loud, I forgive you. And then you try with all your might to feel it in the depths of your soul, to really turn that corner away from bitterness and to acceptance and peace. And it's just a lot harder than you thought. I've been there before. Haven't you? Uh, A little later in Ephesians, Paul's going to tell us to put off, to take off the old self, to put an end to all the destructive habits that have crept into our lives. Things like anxiety and addiction and cynicism and lying. And let me tell you, when these things get a hold of you, they're incredibly difficult to shake off. It's not an easy process. It's actually a lot easier to come away feeling more discouraged and defeated when you try to overcome these things. But Paul's telling us that's what prayer is for. That's what prayer is for. When God brings us into his family, he calls us to live this 
cruciform life, a life that imitates the own self-giving of his son. Can you imagine how difficult it was for our Lord Jesus to resist the devil's temptations in the wilderness? Or to deny the crowd's insistence that he become king right now, their way. Or to forgive his enemies from the cross. It was incredibly difficult. Jesus was a human being, just like us. He lived in the same world and faced the same pressures that you and I face. And the only way he kept the upper hand is through desperate prayer. Isn't that what we heard at the end of our gospel reading this morning? Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. To sulk? No. To pray. And to pour out his soul, all his thoughts and desires and dreams. Yes, he had those. To his father. So if you and I are going to live powerful Christian lives that Paul is encouraging us to live in the letter to the Ephesians, we must pray. We must ask God for strength. And we need to be praying for each other. Look, God has made this power available to us. He's given us the Holy Spirit in baptism as a gift. Jesus now dwells in our hearts by faith. This is true for every Christian. But there's a difference between Jesus inhabiting and Jesus dwelling and abiding and reigning. It's the difference between living in one town and doing all of your business in the other, right? And doing all of your business, putting all of your life, putting down roots in that town. You know, when we get married and our spouse moves in with us, we quickly realize that, you know what? Our old way of decorating isn't going to cut it. Uh, For me, it was a massive Real Madrid soccer banner that proudly hung over my bed. It was my favorite part of my room. But when I got married and my room became Mary Elizabeth's room, goodbye soccer banner. And she was patient. It wasn't like goodbye soccer banner or hello pull out sofa, but it was a steady process of change. And guess what? It hasn't stopped. It's going to every room of the house, right? It's taking over and our house looks beautiful because of it. But that's what it's like when Christ comes to dwell in our hearts. That song, Joy to the World, urges us to prepare him room, right? That's our job. It's it's to move out the old clutter that keeps us in our old ways and is dragging us down, even though we might might not know it, and to bring in the new and life-giving ways of the Creator and to embody those. And it's difficult. It's very difficult. But when we ask for strength in prayer, God gives it. He gives it. 
inner strength. And yet, that's not the only strength that Paul prays for. In verse 18, he prays for the strength to comprehend. The strength to comprehend. Some of your Bibles might use the word understand or grasp. Mine says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what exactly does Paul want us to comprehend? This is a confusing verse. What's he referring to when he talks about those four dimensions? Where do those, where do those come from? The height, the breadth, the length, the depth. At first glance, we might say that, it's the, that those things are referring to the love of Christ. Um, since that's the phrase that immediately follows it. But actually, it's a bit more complex than that. There's a backstory to this. <clears throat> Believe it or not, Paul here is quoting a magical incantation that was popular in Ephesus, in which a person, the, the person praying, would pray to a false god and ask to be filled to the brim with the vastness of their power, for this false god to actually overtake them and inhabit them. No doubt, this sort of thing surrounded Paul's readers every day here. The book of Acts tells us that many of the first Christians in Ephesus had converted to Christianity from the occult. But now look, their leader, the apostle Paul, is in prison. And now that they begin to deal with the resistance that you and I deal with, in our own Christian walks, would they begin to think that they made a wrong choice? That the gospel, this victorious announcement of victory, was a sham? That they'd been duped? That their other gods, false gods, were more powerful than the one true God? So Paul's using this language on purpose. Paul wants these Christians, and us too, to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God's power is totally unrivaled. It's far greater than the gods of Ephesus. It's far greater than the power of our fears or addictions or guilt or shame. God's power can help us through anything, and believing that, is half the battle. And that's something we can be praying for one another this week. Especially as in midweek we meet with our small groups and hear uh, more details on each other. About what's going on in your lives. We need to pray for God to guard our friends here. Against any kind of discouragement or doubt. Let's pray. For God to give them a resilient trust in the vastness and supremacy of God's power. So that's the strength that Paul wants us to have. He wants God to give us an inner strength and the strength to comprehend 
His power. He wants us to be, in summary, verse 19, filled with all the fullness of God. Every resource that God has to offer us, Paul wants us to be filled to the brim, ready for anything. Now, when we pull back from this, we begin to think that we're actually asking a lot from God. Uh, It's almost like if you were able to see how much money your parents spent on you while growing up, that enormous amount, our requests here are starting to pile up. But should that make us hesitant? Should that cause us to scale back our requests from asking what we really need? Absolutely not, Paul says. We can be confident that whatever we ask of God, He is more than able and willing to provide it. This is why we can be confident when we pray. Look with me at verses 20 and 21 as Paul closes our passage this morning. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Notice how Paul just keeps building here. It's a beautiful crescendo, isn't it, to this first half of the letter. He wants to make us completely certain that God is able to handle anything we ask Him. Just look for a minute. Not only is God able to do anything, but He's also able to do what we ask He hears and answers our prayers. Not only is God able to do what we ask, but He's also able to do even what we think. Those things that you might be thinking about right now that you think, I wouldn't dare ask Him. That would just be audacious. He's able. Not only is God able to do all these things, because nothing is outside of His control, but he is able to do them more abundantly and even far more abundantly than we can imagine him doing them in the first place. There is simply no limit to what God can do. we got to tap into this. I served at a church. I want to tell you this story real quick. I served at a church when I saw the most beautiful demonstration of God's ability to provide for our needs. There was this lady, her name is Dawn, and a youth girl named Jade. And Jade's family came to our church out of utter poverty. I've I've really never known someone face-to-face who has had less than this family. Well, Jade's birthday, Dawn gives her a call. I'd like to take you out to lunch for your birthday. Really? Yeah, where do you want to go? I want to go to La Madeline. You'll have La Madeline. We don't have La Madeline's here. It's okay. We have mountains. (laughs) So So she takes her to La Madeline. Whatever you want, get it. It's like 10 bucks a plate. She gets whatever she wants. She gets dessert. Dawn says, now let's go shopping. Let's just look. 
So they go shopping. They go to this store. Jade starts looking at the dresses. And Don can see. <laughs> She's just mesmerized by them. And she says, hey, Jade, did you know that the dresses are two for one? <laughs> Whatever you want. Thank you. Thank you, Dawn. Happy birthday. Time to go home. But first, we got to stop by Starbucks, don't we? Absolutely. This over-the-top ability and generosity is how God, our Father, relates to you and to me. If you're in Christ, you have unlimited resources at your disposal. And prayer is the way that we tap into that, is the way that we nourish this love relationship that we have with our Creator, and also the way that we draw down on all the power that He has for us. So what are you waiting for? What are you dealing with that seems totally outside of your bandwidth? Pray. Get on your knees and pray in desperation. And just watch and see if God will not do far more abundantly than you can ever ask or imagine. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.